0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Those that qualify for services through their county's Developmental Disabilities Board can find it difficult to navigate those services. Today, we talk with Mike Sweeten about that and suggestions he has to make this process a little bit easier. Mike is currently a Transition Services Coordinator for Butler County Board of Developmental Disabilities in Ohio, and previously was a support administrator for them as well. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Mike, thanks for uh, joining us today. You're welcome. This might, this might sound strange, but you seem to have a different accent than most people in the greater Cincinnati region. So uh, I came here. From uh, Scotland.
1: Uh, I like to tell people I'm from Kentucky uh, here and there (laughs) just to confuse them. Uh, It doesn't work. Um, So, originally back at the end of 2000, uh, done with university and school and all of that, I was offered a chance to come and work here. And basically, it was uh, hey, would you like a job in the States? There was no mention of Ohio, there was no mention of Hamilton, it was just the states. And I said, sure. Uh, What am I doing? And they said, working with kids. I said, well, that sounds great. I didn't ask what I'd be doing with the kids. Uh, I just thought, well, that's that's great. Now, bearing in mind, this was um, December. So most folks think, oh, you came here for summer camp. Uh, Well, it's December. So about two weeks before I got here, um, I said, what am I doing with the kids? Because I'm still thinking, I'll be riding bikes. We'll be jumping in pools because that's what I've seen on TV. And they said, oh, you know, forest ecology, wildlife adaptations, living history, soil study, <laughs> river studies, uh, you know, all those outdoor education things. And I said, do, do I know that? And they went, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So sure enough, here I came. And I jumped on a plane and landed in Cincinnati and came to work outdoor education. I did a year and a half. Um, in Camp Campbell guard.
0: So that's originally why I came, but it was fun. (laughs) And how did you uh, get involved in the uh, disability community? Um, so
1: through Camp Campbell guard, so I did my, my year and a half to start with. And, you know, eventually I did another year and a half and then came back for another three years. So it's, it was on and off with different, um, visas that were involved and all the ins and outs and lawyers and all that fun stuff. But throughout that year and a half and time frame, obviously summer camp starts. Um, So throughout summer camp, there are specific cabins, obviously, within summer camp. And one of those cabins at Camp Guard is cabin six. Uh, Cabin six is the special needs cabin Mm. for overnight. Uh, There is obviously all day camp that happens full of special needs. It's a great integrated camp. But cabin six is the designated overnight cabin. Uh, four and five are the boys uh, at the time. Uh, one and two were girls, and we had the horse cabin and stuff like that. Not literally for horses, uh, for the campers who were doing the horse camp. So I didn't specifically work directly with cabin six, but uh, throughout the programming, programming that was happening, and then uh, I worked a summer at the horse barn. I worked uh, as the ropes coordinator, the outdoor pursuits kind of uh, area, doing the team building stuff. So, cabin six would come along and it was their time to do the zipline. So I was in charge of getting everyone ready for that, helping everyone get up to the zipline and doing the zipline. They would take their turn to go to the horse barn and do their trail rides. So it was getting everyone up on the horses, getting everyone ready, doing the trail ride. Uh, and so the interaction started there while in, uh, while they were at camp. My first I guess introduction wasn 't particularly an introduction I guess it was just natural growing up in Scotland um, with my uncle who to this day uh, I remember a few years ago uh, before my mum passed away asking her what his diagnosis actually is because now I'm in the field I'm interested I'm going hey yeah. what's, what's what's his actual diagnosis and she said what <laughs> I guess back then that wasn't a big thing to worry about it was just there's special needs involved there and he has to go here and he has to do that so I remember when I was seven or eight maybe and I went along to I guess what would be the equivalent of a program maybe some sort of little mini everyone goes along and has a fun time type place so here's me at 7 or 8 going along with my mum to see my uncle in this place and all I remember was and this is the oddest thing I was terrified because and when you, when I look back it's because everyone was so friendly and they were all rushing up to me to say oh there's a kid I'm going to go say hi to the kid right But all I remember was, at seven or eight, was here's all these, well, big people running towards me and getting in my face. And I'm trying to hide behind my mum. So that was probably my first introduction. It was a lot of grown-ups whoosh running at me and (laughs) grabbing my face. So I'm going, whoo, this is scary. Uh, We went there to watch his play. He was in lots of plays. And uh, I remember going to, he had an apartment. Um, We went to his apartment. And it was, I guess it would be the equivalent of a group home setting. And everyone had their own little apartment, though. Um, not an ICF-type setting, though. So, but again, that was way back. Uh, he did move to England with us when I was 16. And I shared a room with him. Um, hearing a grown man have a nightmare and screaming out when you're 16 is a sound that you remember for the rest of your life as well. So that kind of sticks with you. And so it's always just been that natural, I guess I just grew up with it. And it's just been there everywhere I've gone, um, moving into each job that I've had. Um, It's just been that natural flow for where I've gone, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. So in doing research for um, this podcast, I... um I found out that you uh, worked at a Goodwill's uh, Fairfield Vocational Center for many years. Yep, um, and in two thousand. 2000- Thirteen, the center won the uh, Butler County Board of Developmental Disabilities Community Recognition Award. Thanks in part to your leadership in developing a culture of trust, integrity, and mutual respect for those that you serve um, in the in that in the work training program. So, can you talk about the importance of developing that trust and respect for those that you serve? So yes. So during my time at Fairfield Goodwill. Mm. Um, and it's
1: great to look back at um, because, and especially nowadays, so a lot of the rules nowadays around kind of the WIOA rules and the employment first rules, a lot of the discussions about, uh, and you won't see this on a podcast, but my quotation, bunny, bunny ear marks of uh, sheltered workshops, um, it has that negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, that was a pretty much a sheltered workshop. But that's not what we looked at it as. Uh, We always, so myself and uh, it was another Mike, uh, Mike Goforth. uh, We were, everyone knew us as Mike and Mike. (laughs) Uh, It was like Mike and Mike in the morning. Um, We always talked about it was our job to work ourselves out of a job. With the meaning of, we need to get everyone in this program out there working in the community. Um, Was it going to be possible for everyone? Probably not, and we knew that. Um, But our goal was to, well, let's prepare these uh, individuals coming into this program as best as we can and make everything as real world as we can. So it was starting with, let's change the mindset mindset. Uh, let's treat them with that respect and just that little bit of change uh, changed the whole program Um, the sneaking around that used to happen, the I want to give someone uh, a Mountain Dew for lunch, used to be like uh, some sort of spy operation and it didn't have to be. I mean, mm-hmm. if I want to go to lunch and I want to say, hey, does anyone want this Mountain Dew? Well, okay, I can do that. Right. So they were able to do that. It didn't have to be a spy operation. The only thing, and this is where it turned into a, how does that work in the real world? Can I give this Mountain Dew to a co-worker who has diabetes? Well, probably not. Do they have to recognize that they can't take it? So everything we had to try and turn into a life lesson versus, you can't do that, don't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was always like that before, but we tried to just turn everything into that life lesson to help them understand more. Um, And by us doing that, folks in the program started to realize, well, Mike and Mike aren't out to get us. They're trying to help us. Mm -hmm. And... The whole program, just you could feel shoulders, as if the program had shoulders, just relax a lot more, everyone was more comfortable coming Mm -hmm. in, everyone wanted to work more. Um, Challenges that were always there started to kind of dissipate a little more. Uh, People who didn't want to come to the program Mm -hmm. and maybe just shouted out jail for three hours of the day, that started to go away. Uh, We could help people not smoke anymore. Uh, simple little things that should have always been there just started to fade away uh, and it became a more inclusive environment for folks to learn in and learn Well, hey, how do you transfer these work skills here out into the community um, and then eventually it was working more on the great, now you've got the work skills how do we blend those out there and now work on the Social side of it, because we had some great workers there, but the social anxiety side of it was, I I might have those work skills, but
0: how do I go and work out there? That's a challenge. Yeah. So I think it it, it's it's so important. I always talk about that with my coaches. Like I don't care what are. Educational background is how much experience we have. If we can't initially develop that trust and connection with those that we're working with, yeah. it, it's not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Getting those, and we had
1: some folks. So uh, some folks had their team meetings that would happen, um, and that took a while to build up. Um, knowing that some folks wanted to constantly come with the this is a problem, that's a problem, this isn't happening, that's not happening. I want to tell you everything that's going on every day, every minute, every hour, well that took away from any work that's going on, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which then, that means you're not making any money because obviously, and this is the challenge with workshops, it's peace, right? Right. But we had some folks earning uh, a good $400, which is not the typical workshop uh, when people think about what does somebody earn at a workshop? That's not what people thought about. Um, but that same person would go, I'm not making any money. So how do we make them understand we have to get away from the up and down, up and down, up and down. I've got to tell you all the challenges. Without just Sometimes we could directly come out with it and say, well, here's why. <laughs> Other times it, it was getting to that point of saying, bring it up at your team meeting. A simple phrase but what if that team meeting was once a week? So how do we come up with some of those strategies of write down those challenges, give them to me, and we'll hold on to it and we'll bring it up at your team meeting. But that took that trust. That trust that they knew this is gonna be talked about in a week. It's gonna take a whole week, but we will talk about it. You're just not saying it'll be brought up and, at your team meeting. Right, it, there's, there's gotta be something else there. And that took a while. They had to, maybe it took a couple of phone calls in between. Tell you what, we'll write it down, we'll talk about it at your team meeting, and just now, we'll call your guardian. You'll get an extra call in there. And then we'll talk about the rest at your team meeting. So there's always another step. So we always tried something to build on that trust. We always thought outside of the box. Um, There had to be, there always had to be that extra level uh, to show that we're on your side Uh, we're not just that we never wanted to be that power figure sitting in the cube at the back with with the whip you know work like (laughs) to get away from that you're just here to 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 fill up those boxes like that's what we we never wanted that Mm -hmm. Um, and i think as the support coordinators at the time before I went to work for the board came in, they saw a big difference between what we were doing and what other, maybe other uh, workshops were doing, uh, other area locations were doing, and it it must have shown. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, So (laughs) it it worked for some of the more challenging folks, uh, even folks who didn't have big issues going on and just needed small things what was that small thing what can we help you with right there and then uh, and just jumping on it and just seeing that little smile appear hey I've done it That's, that person's happy right now bang fixed
0: <laughs> right so it, it worked so whether it was with Goodwill or from your experience since then, what are some of the best practices you've seen in helping people with disabilities find employment? So
1: the biggest thing that I find, and especially now, so jumping to the board, uh, coming up for six years now, mm-hmm. in the transition world, uh, so we do a lot with Project Life and Project Search, um, and a lot with, even if they're just coming out of school. Uh, obviously, a lot working with OOD and job developers so the key that I find is one being honest with someone's abilities mm-hmm. we have a lot of individuals and I was the same when I was 16, 17, 18, we have a lot of individuals who are saying I want to be a I, a pitcher for the Reds mm-hmm. or the a uh, quarterback for the Bengals great <laughs> we all do well, we all did <laughs> all right. um, now that I'm old you know I can't do that um, so being honest with that person not saying not continuing that and saying well great let's look at what we can do to get you there is that a possibility most likely not so just being honest right there and then can we but what can we do to maybe link them up with uh, maybe get them a ticket to the Reds game or some of the Reds' opening day activities, meeting some of the players. Um, so they've still got uh, a connection to what they like, what their dream is. Mm-hmm. What their passion is. We're not about. just taking it away. You're never going to do that. It, we're obviously just being honest and saying, that's a hobby, that's a pastime, that's great. Let's look at what job skills you have and what are you What are you good at work-wise and link it that way, but keep that dream open somehow. Mm. Um, and, and going at it that way. The other thing is um, job developers. If someone is matched up, and this is a tricky one, but if someone is matched up with the wrong job developer, mm. it, it never goes well. Um, the challenge for us as support coordinators we can't officially turn around and say yes or no to a job developer for someone. So if, if they're asking us, ooh, can you recommend somebody? We can't stand there and say, well, yes I can. <laughs> um, we can give them a list. Uh, I will sometimes narrow it down to you know 10 mm-hmm. or five because it's a huge list. Mm. So well, the, maybe those five are just the ones in close proximity Give people so options helps it narrow it down a little, but i we can't say pick this one mm-hmm. um, but parents and the individual can sit them down and interview them and hear what they're good at, uh, who they work well with in mm-hmm. the area, whether it's industries or small businesses, or get a good feel of well, you might work best for my son or daughter, um, so getting that right job developer is great for getting them into the right field that they want to go now some just work best downtown some work great in butler county um so yeah that's that's one of the main uh, reasons we look out there and find that person that's going to work basically Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. So I was introduced to you at your current position um, as a support administrator for the Butler County Board of Developmental Disabilities. Yes. For those that may not know, what what are the primary responsibilities of a support administrator? So, <laughs>
1: one word, uh, paperwork. Uh, in, in in essence, uh, within that paperwork, watch a hold-up, um, obviously that includes annual paperwork, uh, to keep the person's plan involved, whether there's funding in there, no funding, uh, just getting to know the person. Uh, whether they're And we have folks who are um, in the transition world, uh, as young as three, and then up to 22, 23, 24, um, but getting to know them, what are their likes, dislikes, uh, and getting those person-centered Ideas in there within their plan are very important. Um, So, as much as it is paperwork, it's all about the individual. Uh, And I say that because moving forward, as they do progress into some of the job development side, the I'm out of school now, what do I need side. having that in the paperwork side of the um, all the different areas so the how do I learn best Uh, do I have any challenges anything that's in there is going to be helpful for anyone working with them it's also great so I've had folks in the past that I've had likes photography then we have a community connections department that will put out camera donated and my brain sees that email and goes ooh Mm -hmm. well Bob liked photography but didn't have a camera so then in theory if we've done everything well we can look at that and go I'm going to get that camera or hopefully get it before anyone else Mm -hmm. and grab that for for Bob if they're open to receiving it and we'll be able to use it I'm not just going to grab it um so the paperwork's huge um the other thing is just coordinating services uh within uh butler county linking families to what's out there uh, because a lot of the time i have to remind myself that and it sounds odd but we are service coordinators versus service doers um, I love to do things for people. I think that's why we're in this job. We want to help people. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we can't do everything. So it's more of a, here's some references, here's some links, here's some places you can go uh, to get the things that you need. Um, Then the other times it helps to have the understanding of the person and be able to say, I can do this. Um, But most of the time, the key part of being that support coordinator is knowing the person well, getting well-detailed paperwork, and being able to link them to what is out there to what's going to help them move forward
0: with what their service needs are. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as a support coordinator as the biggest challenge in your job? Um... So, the biggest challenge, and it kind of goes back to
1: the service side, is trying to please everyone on your caseload, Mm. Um, whether it's the individuals, the families, the providers, even the school networks that we're involved in, um, depending on how the team meetings are going. And again, that's probably part of why a lot of us are in the jobs that we're in. Um, We are people pleasers. Um, It's reminding ourselves sometimes we have to say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a challenge Uh, (laughs) for me and for many others. Uh, But how do we say no? There's a constructive way to say no, and again, it goes to linking to what's out in the community. Uh, And that's part of building on the knowledge of what's out there um, that challenge comes with families are different. Uh, so one family may have all the bells and whistles, but that's a different situation than the next family who is saying, I need this, I need that, and I know someone else has it, so I need it. We It's comparing apples and oranges. But what can we do for the family who does need whatever it is they need we can link them to the services that are out there Um, get in on our website uh, link into the programs the um, special Olympics type events the Challenger Miracle Baseball League stuff where there are other families involved who have maybe been through it before and have had the experience that they can discuss it with that family and say well here's what we did, here's how it worked for us Um, sometimes that challenge comes down to we don't know what the family is asking for sometimes families will have a need but we don't know the needs there so sometimes it just comes down to talk with the support coordinator and we'll be able to Either say, and it also comes down to, again, be honest with that family. We can say that's possibly not an option, or, oh, I can link you to whatever it is. Um, and hopefully, I always try and link uh, to the families that are out there already that have hopefully been through it. Mm-hmm. Because That's just building those natural supports. Mm -hmm. Those natural supports that are out there are key. Uh, The same as finding the right job developer. There are systems in place and there are steps in place that if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, So knowing that they're out there, link folks up. They live it every day. They experience it. I can come in and say, have you tried this, have you done this, but I, I don't live it. Uh, I have the a little bit of knowledge about what's out there, have I ever done it, have I ever been there, no. Um, so if I can guide people to where they might need to go, that's always what mm-hmm. I try and do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try and keep as many avenues open, I try and uh, keep folders and lists on my laptop that mm-hmm. may help someone get to where they need to go uh, and I always I'm always open to come back to me um, if it doesn't work let me know and we'll we'll look for something else mm-hmm. um, but what I try and stay away from is that I'll do it because then it bogs you down uh, and that's that's hard on everyone because yeah. you want to help everyone
0: and I think that's that's great linking families because I think we yeah. need to we need to do a better job of of helping people to grow their support network. Mm-hmm. What kind of feedback have you like received from families when they have been linked with others who've been through the process? Um,
1: I have had good feedback. Uh, especially, so I have a habit. <laughs> I have a habit of sending giant emails, uh, which you have probably been a part of. Um, they're very thorough I appreciate that's right I appreciate it Mike (laughs) Uh, so I try and even if they're just asking for a little thing I have a habit of going on the internet I'll see what I can find if I already know something in my head I'll I'll add that in about where can I find these services then I'll go to other support coordinators has anyone experienced this I'll add that into the email then maybe I'll go to my supervisor Or anyone else who I know has specifically experienced what it is I'm looking for. So I add every single thing into that email versus what I just know. And I think most people probably do that. But I want to give that family every single opportunity that may be out there. Versus just, oh, I know about this. Try that. Because, well, that's just one door. So my goal is always... When someone asks about whatever it is, it say, "I'm looking for funding to help with an iPad or whatever the option is." Sure. I'm going to try and give them as many doors as possible to open. And if each door is locked, then hopefully one of them, I'm going to have the key to, and they get through. Um, does it always work? No. But what I find is, even the families that come back and say, so if I'm using the door analogy there, uh, and say, Mike, every door was locked. (laughs) The fact that you've given all the options, and it shows that you've tried and you've given all these different links and references and grant options and ins and outs and ups and downs. They see that, and they've they've noticed that you are being as honest as you can, saying, "Look, I don't have anything, but here's where I want you to try. This is what I want you to do. I'm hoping something here will help." The fact that you've done that, most of the families, even the ones that are coming back and saying, "Yep, nothing worked," Mm -hmm. are saying, "Thanks, Mike." I'm yet to have somebody come back and say that was absolutely useless. I can't believe you sent me down that path. All those doors were locked. Mm-hmm. This is like a labyrinth. Um, so, again, the key word for me is, is always just be honest with folks. If there isn't anything directly open for someone, just tell them straight off, mm-hmm. straight off the bat. And just, I don't have anything, but let me see what I can do. If I'm at a meeting with someone um, and I'm not sure, I will always say, And I'm sure even after 20 years, I will always say, you know, I'm not sure, but I'll see what I can find. And then I go into my bag of tricks and wrecking other people's brains and seeing what I can find. And sure, send the giant email to people. Um, Yes, there's a little bit of responsibility on the families to follow up on that, follow some uh, links, maybe fill in a grant form here or there. Hmm. But that's that's possibly what it might take to get the service, the item,
0: um, and fulfill that need. Mm-hmm. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about like I know with with our where we when we serve, we serve teens and adults, and and then there's in some of those cases, family members. Um, it might even be a struggle for them to follow up on those things. Um, and in and in many cases i imagine that isn't communicated to to you like have you had family members like parents come back to you and say you know, uh it's just going to be really tough for me to follow up on these things yes and that's where
1: we have done and i have done uh we do have support coordinators that we do follow through on things um so Filling out an application here or there, mm. um, whether it's a Medicaid, a Social Security, like little things here or there just to help out get that process started. Um, and sometimes it's just sitting down with someone who says, I've got this application. I'm just not sure what it is. And I've oh, so they've come in, they've sat down and I said, OK, well, let's have a look. And they've got it all blank. Um, and I said, "All right, what's the first part?" And they said, "I'm just not sure." Uh, and I said, "All right, well, this is your name. You know." Your, and they filled in their name. Sometimes it's just having someone there with them. Yeah. That's all it took. Um, and it's date of birth, address, it, the things that they knew. But that form, just it was it was too nerve wracking. Sure. To fill in, which I get. I mean, I work with paperwork every day, and I still, to this day, if I'm not at work, and dentist, doctor, they hand me a form, I go, oh, what is this? (laughs) And I sit there and I stare at it blankly until I process what's going on. Um, So I get it, but sometimes just having that person sitting with them and going through it, um, and of course forums out there, I I think some of the forums deliberately try to make things difficult. <laughs> um, but then just going through some of the information with them and uh, helping out. That gets the form side down. Um, some of the other information, um, sometimes they can't get to a place. Uh, so it's it's reaching out and helping them think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Well, I just needed to get my groceries on Saturday but I can't get to the grocery store. So how do you get there normally? Well, my aunt takes me, but my aunt's out of town on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it's just, well, who else is there? It's just helping them brainstorm because, well, it's always just been aunt. They've never, ever thought about anyone else. So sometimes it's just a, how else can we get you there? And I'll bet you could figure this out, probably without me, but let's go talk about it. And when you start talking about it, really they're the one giving the ideas. You're just giving the spark. Mm. Uh, And suddenly they're telling you, oh, I guess my brother lives pretty close. Boom, there it is. But that was never a thought because, well, Ant's always done it. So why would it be a thought? But from the outside, it's a lot easier to come in and go, let's think of this, let's think of that. And we get them to the groceries. Without us officially going to get their groceries, because I'm terrible at grocery shopping, and they wouldn't get the right stuff. So just little ideas here and there, uh, thinking outside of the box. And again, creating those natural uh, supports. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's – so I've tried to help folks get out there to the events that happen to get those natural supports to learn Again, what other families do um, and can those other families, once they've connected with them, help one family transport their son back and forward versus just linking up this is mm-hmm. the the uh need they actually have, but you can't just walk in and suddenly say, "Hey, you, I need you to do this. You have to build the bridge first yeah. build that relationship. but you have to go in there." And meet them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to just take off, yeah. um, and that's 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 happened quite a, a lot. So, mm-hmm.
0: so for families that qualify for services through the uh, Board of Developmental Disabilities, they have an individualized service plan, uh, but they might find it difficult to navigate all the services available for their through their ISP. Um, In terms of, do you have any suggestions for families in terms of um, getting um, what they want through their ISP? Um, Yes. So
1: we have ISPs that have no funding, and we have ISPs that have funding. Um, But both basically work for the family, will work uh, the same. If they are not getting what they want out of the ISP, uh, it may come down to... Uh, there's My mind goes to there's a lack of communication somewhere. Uh, whether it's... And it probably goes back to, one, the support coordinator is not sure of what the need is, or um, the... Family is unsure of what they need, Um, but both would just need to meet, Uh, there's just got to be some sort of communication to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there is a limit on the, so the ISPs that have no funding involved, there may just be an annual monitoring, there is a limit there. Sometimes that's where folks are not getting what they need because they're looking for more. And that more means a whole lot of funding. So if that's where the needs are uh, looking at, that expectation is, I need this, that's where the, there's no coverage, uh, basically. there's The service isn't happening in that part of the ISP. Um, if it's a small – I say small, but it could be big for the family. Um, if it's a a need that could be covered under our family support service, which did just change this year. Um, so if there are families listening to this, uh, <laughs> they will want to double-check family support services or get with their support coordinator. So that's a great example. Um Families could be out there going, well, I always get my depends through family support services. Right. Well, they may, but it's not so automatic. Um, Families are going to need to, uh, there's a reapplication now versus automatic that's always been there. Uh, The verification of needs are having to be refilled in. Simple things, but that's not out there. Uh, so families are finding out, oh, hold on, some families aren't going to find out and are just going to suddenly ask for things and they're not going to be there. So there's an example of, wait a minute, where's my service that's been going on? And it's it's not there. It is there, but it's in the background. Changes that are happening. Um, there are always a lot of changes. Uh, and it always goes back to, so the support coordinator may know about a change and the family doesn't from a county side, from a state side, uh, from a paperwork side, changes that are happening. The family may have changes from a school side, from a behavior side, from a hospitalization side, uh, from a medication side, changes that have happened with the son or daughter, uh, in our, in, on the caseload, which, okay, that's being dealt with at home, families are looking after them, but that could be key for the support coordinator to know. And if they're only meeting once a year, there may have been something that could have been done six months earlier to maybe, again, link with the community, what supports could be out there to help, But there's some breakdown in communication that we could have helped in the middle for both of those situations. Nobody knew either way. Uh, So just little communications here and there to help support each other sometimes. Uh, We're the support coordinator, so we're supporting. But sometimes it can come down to if families have some changes, um, let your support coordinator know there may be something that could help or it's just great to have that documentation so when the annual plan happens or if they're at that point and they are going for a job the support coordinator is able to say to a job developer, "Mm, probably not best to look for a full-time job at this time if that's the situation or a there, there's there's going to need to be an accommodation for some uh, sitting down during this job. Like little things because of medication changes. Like just hmm. little bits of communication here and there. I think that could probably help a lot with some of the service needs. Is everyone always going to be fully happy? Most likely not. Um, but... From the times that I've had someone call, and I'll be the first to admit, I have forgot a couple of times to follow up on something. I've given them all the information in my giant emails, but I was going to follow up on one last thing, and that got away from me. The families were great, and they sent me an email a couple of weeks later and said, did you ever get this? Did you ever find out about those extra depends? We'll use the depends. And I've gone, oh, I've completely forgotten. So there's that communication coming in because, well, I forgot. So a little bit of back and forth between each other will be great.
0: Well, Mike, I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episodes for those that do qualify for county services. I hope uh, the information Mike shared was helpful to you. Autism Personal coach saves people with autism from feeling alone and being isolated. So often teens and adults with autism struggle with anxiety and as a result, don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help those with autism by working on meaningful, individualized goals in a setting in which will be used so their anxiety is greatly reduced and they can become much more independent and successful. To get an Autism Coach uh, for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Maverick Crawford, the author of the book Overcoming the Odds, My Journey to Personal Strength and Triumph. Talk to you then.